Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Hello, everybody. Charles Eisenstein here with Ivan Skillam. He's the founder of Reclaim Your Inner Throne. He's a men's coach, and he's become a friend over the few years that we've known each other, even though, gosh, we haven't ever met in person. Have no, we? we haven't met in person yet. It's crazy. So I don't know. Does I still count as a friend? Maybe we would uh, totally trigger each other in person, and maybe we do a little bit sometimes virtually, too. <laughs> I really appreciate Ivan's kind of disarming honesty and uh, realness. Hmm. So we've had a conversation before that a lot of people really appreciated. And that was really fun. That was really fun. That one. I didn't realize how important that was going to be for the work that we're doing reclaiming in the throne. Just very grateful for, for that opportunity back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I'm in the thing of, okay, am I supposed to lead the conversation? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we're just two dudes hanging out and seeing what comes up. Yeah. It might be relevant that I'm, I'm in the middle of reading uh, your book and I'm really enjoying it. The more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And what are you, what are you, what are you liking about it? Well, I'm struck by the uh, amount of crossover to, to our work. And I, I like a lot this narrative around uh, the the in-between space where we need to sort of just stop and allow all of our strategies to just dissolve and to trust that some deeper, more, uh, more real, more, I don't know, authentic expression come, comes through. And then, you know, all of the stress and all of the, ah, you know, I'm supposed to be doing something, aren't I? And all yeah. of that feels very familiar. Uh, I'm reminded of my own years of chronic illness. And it's funny that, you know, I'm reading your book and it mirrors my own process of letting go from my strategies. And I remember that what drew you to my work was that you saw this segment about the underworld in the free video training. And so it seems like what you liked in my work is the same that I liked in your work. So. There's one thing you just said that that raised a question for me. Like you said something like, uh, you know, we need to let go. We need to surrender as if it were a choice. And sometimes I wonder, like if someone tells me, okay, Charles, the solution now is that you have to let go. Or the solution is that you have to surrender. And right. I'm like, I'll try to do that. Maybe it's not real surrender. No. I, like, like, okay, I'm going to try to let go now, you know. And I think that even like that desperate and doomed attempt to hold on, to yeah. make it stay working, like even that strengthens muscles 
that are useful in the future. And then that's what I'm left with. Well, what do I do? Like my mind wants an instruction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is where I imagine that we could have a fruitful conversation. You know, the work that I do in the world is very inspired by Robert Morandol's Gillette's reworking of Carl Jung's um, mm -hmm. work on archetypes. And, and, and the idea is that there is this quartet of archetypes that operate inside of us, king, warrior, magician, lover, or, or queen for women. And as I'm reading your take on this new story, I get this very distinct feeling that there's a lot of lover and a lot of magician in it, and maybe even some king. But I'm wondering, where does the warrior fit into this worldview? Like the warrior being discipline and responsibility and loyalty and agency and just getting shit done. So I, that's something yeah. I'm curious about. So I think that the, 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 what I'm talking about is a phase. Uh -huh. And that is a phase in which the warrior is not the operating archetype. Sure. Because the warrior ultimately needs to bow to the sovereignty of the king. Mm-hmm and have the warrior energies be directed toward something that emerges through the integration of the other archetypes producing yeah. wisdom. Yeah. Uh, otherwise the warrior energy, it's like, okay, like if you jump to that first, okay, I'm going to do something now. Gonna exactly. Exercise. Like toward what? But you make a really good point because I think a lot of men and women too, I suppose, looking out on this planet and seeing all the damage that's been done from that male warrior archetype. Yeah. Naturally conclude, okay, that's bad. You know, this yes. is something that we want to suppress and squelch. And, and then the power comes in shadow. Yeah. It's not like it goes away. Is it? I find this a very interesting topic. I have kept seeing in, in my work and in spaces I've been in, workshop spaces and groups and that kind of a thing, and I've seen it in myself as well, that this, this uh, vision of this more surrendered, natural, authentic way of being in the world could easily be conflated with a regression to some sort of an infantile yearning for the womb, you know, of mother. So the, the mother becomes all-encompassing and the father is just like not exile the father he doesn't even belong in this picture anymore mm -hmm. which i think is honestly happening quite a lot in the world right now so that reminds me of what pat mccabe said on that same masculinity series that, that you were on and she was speaking of her you know she's indigenous she's a dine woman otherwise known as navajo and trained for 20 or more years in the lakota way so like really right. wow is like a really <clears throat> deep understanding that's not like something she read somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's integrated into a real lineage. And she says, yeah, we don't, we, we, we want the men to be men. We want their, and she's not rigidly, you know, casting this into binary terms, but she's talking about right. the massive archetypes that are usually more, more embodied in men. Mm -hmm. And she's saying like, yeah, we want that masculine, purposeful, linear, go for it, get it done. Like we want all that stuff and we want it to be in service to life. Yes. And that's why it needs to 
not just respect the feminine, but like this isn't like some kind of respect, oh, we'll be nice to you, but it's the respect for the unique gifts that the feminine archetypes have to offer that are indispensable in orienting that warrior energy toward a life serving purpose. Yeah. And, and she's like, yeah, I mean, she does not want like the kind of new age domesticated snag. Domesticated man. Yeah. Like that's not <laughs> yeah. useful for them in, in this. The West. Lakota lineage, you say. Yeah. And, and I don't know how much of this is, you know, Lakota teachings, how much of this right. is just what she has come. She has a lot of work with men and women's circles and stuff. Right. I'm but that, that's, and that resonates also with this. Uh, I was just at this event and I was talking about some of the gender politics that are going on in this country. And one of these women at this event was a veteran. She's probably in her sixties, late sixties, maybe a veteran of like the 1970s radical feminism Oh, wow. Movements, you know, and she was like, where have I heard this before? Uh, like, you know, that's not ultimately what we wanted either. To feminize men or to masculinize women. Hmm. Like that might be an interesting ex- exploration in a time. I'm not adding my words now to what she was saying, but that might be an interesting exploration in a time where the um, old story of what a man looks like and acts like is breaking down and so it's like yeah okay let's let's yeah question everything but that that dissolution i don't think is permanent you know right one of the things that's been happening and is spreading like wildfire these days is this deconstruction of gender itself that there is no such thing as a biological gender and we need to get a do away with all of these sort of discriminating distinctions altogether, which in my world is, is crazy because clearly there's, there's a lot of differences, right? But is this process the same process that you're talking about as this in-between space? Do you think there's something trustable in what's going on that we're questioning all of the distinctions and all of the boundaries and all of the order essentially that used to be and that used to be the foundation of our civilization? Or is there something to be afraid of in this as well? What do you think? I'm just kind of riding the wave. You know, it might, might be it might be that this is what needs to happen right now. A time of casting down the idols, demolishing the categories, putting everything on the table hmm. uh, to see what emerges. Yeah, like the 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 somewhat tired metaphor now of the imaginal cells and the 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 butter the when the caterpillar turns into a soup, you know, inside of the chrysalis yeah. and the butterfly. Yeah. That may be something that's, that's necessary. Um, right. And we may not be ready for the, like, for, for, to erect new forms of these archetypes, to erect new gender distinctions. May not, it may not be, people may not be ready for that yet because still so habituated to the old gender constructs that no longer serve the planet Mm -hmm. that you erect a new one too quickly and it may just be another version of the old one. So there, I'm, I'm, I don't have a real strong, yeah. I mean, sometimes I get a little riled up, you know, when I get attacked for being masculine, (laughs) 
Do you get attacked for being a white man these days when you're on stage? Occasionally. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, race and gender can be a totalizing discourse where yeah. it's used as the lens to evaluate. Everything. Yeah. The only lens to see everything right. through. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, like, I mean, no matter what I say, you can criticize it because it's a white man saying it. Where, yeah. where I take that is to be mindful of when I speak, what am I serving in my speech? Am I yeah. serving yeah. the circle? Am I serving the collective? Or am I serving a psychological wound that is assuaged through exercising dominance? I enacting a habit. Yeah, that's that's what I love about you. Uh, as I as I see your ongoing inquiry in your book, is that you're so honest with yourself, and you keep questioning where you're coming from, even as you're writing the book. Of course, then the, the shadow side of that is, you know, maybe I'm engaging in approval seeking. Yeah, I see how good I am in uh, in inquiring into my shadow. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way out of it, is, is there? There's always a possibility right. that you might be just manipulating for for love I, I that's one of the things that i read is kind of humbling but the honest truth is that i just notice more and more in my leadership even even as i'm supposedly in the business of empowering men you know and taking taking men into a certain kind of being in the world self-assured and that kind of thing and sometimes i notice that oh i'm saying this thing to make people like me and it's funny you know because I, at once I, i i feel this luminous leader archetype rise in me and then and uh, behind the scenes is this little kid sort of pulling the the strings and say Ah, you know, they all love me. It's right. yeah, I think it's hard to to really ever get fully away from that. And maybe we aren't supposed to. Well the way I see it is that yeah, like I might be serving two masters. Um mm. I might be serving the master of of the more beautiful world my heart knows is possible and in deep service to that. And yeah. also serving the master of of Charles who finally is popular. There's a contradiction. Yeah. And what happens over time is that the universe in its generosity will offer circumstances that bring the contradiction to the surface and will bring me to a choice point where I have to choose which one I'm going to serve. Mm. And that, that is the breakthrough point that allows me to rise to a higher level of effectiveness right. in serving one or the other of these masters. Yeah. Yeah, I keep being faced with one humbling situation after another that just exposes the places where I'm still, you know, not quite congruent or I'm manipulating without knowing it or I'm doing power plays without knowing it. Again and again, it just happens. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and like you can ignore those perhaps and kind of maintain the status quo, but then you're going to hit a glass ceiling in your effectiveness. Yes, agreed. Yeah. And what I notice in, in, in my work and especially how I relate to other human beings is that when I've really embraced this young part of me or like given it a voice or named it, confessed, confessed it to other people, somehow I seem to just naturally sort of sink into this new story field where, where everyone seems to be beautiful and I feel more friendly towards people and I feel way more a part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. Like, what's um since we talked last? Like, yeah, there were. I remember that map that you offered of of a man's 
journey toward the inner throne, there yeah. were some pieces of the territory that were kind of blurry that you said these haven't really formed yet. Is there anything? It was more like me being secretive to be a bit mysterious and to keep some things uh, to to myself and ourselves. And uh, so, but yeah, the, the the end of the end of the journey is it, it, it is quite clear though still to this day ending a journey like that remains a big challenge because in me and in my heart and in the team of reclaim your inner throne we're wanting this to be um, a process that brings a man to a permanent shift in consciousness and that happens for quite a few and then you know you have this typical rubber band effect where the the um, the energy, the the frame of mind, the way of being in the world was contingent on a certain support structure and a certain leadership being present, and and then all of a sudden they're dropped back into the you know regular flow of their lives, and they're like, oh, what now? And and that's always one of the things that we're we're really scratching our heads. You know, how can we do as much as possible? to ensure that these men remain in a committed uh, alliance of, of brothers or people, like a growth, mm-hmm. uh, an X-Men Academy, if you will, you know? And, um, right. and yeah, so, so that last part of the journey that you, you, you refer to as blurry, it's, it's a lot about lineage work and, and legacy and vision and that kind of thing, which honestly, it's, it's the, the king, you know. And I would say it's about community because, yeah. I mean, I have the same thing, you know, when I bring people together for a retreat and we go deep, deep, deep into the space of, you know, we, we go deep into the new story, the story mm-hmm. of interbeing, uh, and we're doing reprogramming work and we're, we're like, you know, it's a pretty powerful experience. And then people go back to the reinforcing conditions that they came from. Yeah. And they're like, how do I hold this? And I think that's already the wrong question. How do I hold this? As if <laughs> do with the right practices and by trying hard enough when you're immersed in a situation mm. that is constantly pulling you back. Right. And the right question is really, how do we do this? How do we provide a countervailing force to each other? To, um, hold us in a new story. Yeah. And, and this is the same, like, like the old model of kingship would be someone who dominates others through force. Yeah. But a real king, in, at least in the sense that, that appeals to me, is someone who is uh, invited and held in leadership by the community. Yeah. This is uh, related... I just read a really, really interesting book by um, Stephen Jenkinson on elderhood, asking why are there so many old people in our society and so few true elders? Mm -hmm. And and the reflexive new age response is, oh, we need initiations for our elders. But he's saying for to have initiations for, for elders, there has to be something that they can be initiated into. Elderhood is not, a status that you that you acquire but mm-hmm. it's a, a function of a community yeah so the same thing with 
a leader, I think. And so this is something, this question that you've been talking about, like, what do you, like, I'm curious, what do you do to make the transition that these men are going through in your program permanent or, or lasting or? Yeah. Yeah. I think the most important thing is ongoing connection. Mm-hmm. I see that the people who have stayed in the community, the men who have stayed in the community afterwards, they seem to more reliably stay in that energy, if you will, or in that sense of trusting life, trusting trusting themselves, that they seem to mm-hmm. have that more. So as you say, the community is important. The Sangha, the practice Sangha, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning my mind here. Like wondering what you mean by a leader, because if you have a group of people and you say, well, everybody's the leader, then it also means that nobody's a leader. I mean, it means that, that it's almost like the word has become something else. Right. For me, like, I'm happy to be in a group where someone is a leader and the rest of us aren't. And that mm. person doesn't have to be me, but it's a question of who is, out of the many roles that are asked for by the situation yeah which role do i occupy in best service to what we all want or what we're all serving and that may be to step into a leadership role uh, or maybe to step into the cook role right maybe i'm going to cook the food for everybody maybe i'm going to sing songs so that's a kind of leadership it's a kind of sovereignty, I would say, to say that, that I'm not going to be ruled by perceptions of relative worth. I'm not going to be ruled by the desire to look important, but I am going to be in full service to the kingdom. And that's yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. I like it. I'm just guessing that, that we all have this imprint inside of us of what the good king or the good queen sort of does or how how they feel mm-hmm. and and it's not some sort of uh, larger than life character that sits there with his sword or his sledgehammer telling telling me you know you're doing it wrong you know you can be better but it's more of like a blessing presence but without getting wishy-washy so it's not like oh you're wonderful no matter what you do no it's more like you're you're wonderful and you're not living up to your potential right now and i see that you have more to give to the world and i would love it if you brought your gift brought your service into the kingdom into the community yeah so when you were speaking about that right now uh, just being in a group like that like as long as that leader has that function I mean, when I'm leading, for instance, how much of my own personal agenda do I want to drive through an agenda that makes everyone else a slave to my will? Yeah. And, and, and maybe sometimes that is necessary because right there and then I, I genuinely know better what, what, what we need. Well, maybe your, maybe your personal agenda isn't just your own agenda. Maybe it's aligned with a larger agenda. Yes. And you're the steward of that. Yes. So you, I, I, was, I just thought of an example um, yeah. of what you were talking about, about the way that we speak to somebody when we are in the leader role. 
Yeah. And I agree with you that everybody is in this role sometimes. Mm. You might be in a, a student role with one person and then with somebody else, you are looking up to their leadership or even the same person on another day. But so I, I you know, was, there was somebody in one of my retreats and this person was like really obviously stuck in like an intense victim story. And instead of saying, you're so stuck in your victim story, snap out of it. I said something like, I see that you are in a transition from being ruled by your story into becoming the ruler of your story in a transition from your story, owning you to you owning your story. Mm. And I'm seeing like both. I'm seeing habits of the victim and I'm also seeing habits of the master mixed together. And so, but you actually saw that you weren't just like, right. It's not, yes, you have to actually, it, was, it wasn't a strategy for how to no. speak in a way that she could receive. No, no. Okay. That would be, that would be manipulative. Exactly. You to, yeah. Yeah. You have to actually be able to see that. Yeah. And, but, but even it's not just a matter, it's not so simple as well. Do you see it or don't you? One way that you, that you see that is you start looking for that. And what motivates you to start looking for that is a, a more general and positive view of the human being. You start looking for people in the transition and speaking to that. Is that and what you knowing mean? that actually everybody is in this process. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you can, based on this dogmatic understanding, that you can. I like it. That in that person, right. you have to actually see it in that person. But the dogmatic understanding predisposes you to even look in the first place. And I find that when I look for it, I can always, almost always, maybe sometimes it's hard, but almost always I can see yeah, yeah. This, this beautiful being like trying to evolve, you know, trying to, to and, and then to name that can crystallize a step of evolution. To have something named and seen and made conscious can yeah. be remarkable. And that's what, I, I think that would be a good example of, of leadership in a non-dominating way. Right, and it, it, it uh, reminds me of where you were at earlier in the conversation where you're talking about how this particular transition is not, the warrior is not the dominant archetype. Right. And so uh, as you speak about that, I, I just imagine you as almost like a shaman standing there and just weaving the energy field where like emotions and life force and stuff can and just open up and start flowing in a new way. E even in your story, you're saying that uh, you're seeing two at once. Mm -hmm. Like that, that seems to be the skill right now to me. Like wh wherever I see there's, there's two polar opposites happening. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems like the overall process, the collective process that we're in as a humanity is that the polarities are being exposed in every on every axis of being and, and, and doing that exists. And they're, they're just exploding in intensity and just like cra crashing towards each other, whether you call it liberal and conservative or man or woman or East and West. And, and when you, you bring that awareness to it, that is, that is the move that builds a bridge between those two worlds. And I, I think that, you know, it's easy, or it's not easy, but, but it's doable on the individual level and in a small group. And now we're, we're actually like sort of fumble-fucking our way through 
actually making it happen collectively in humanity, which is like, like how? <laughs> like, how is that even supposed to work? Sometimes I just, I just despair thinking, oh, no, it's all going to hell. And then, and then I have this, I snap out of the doom and gloom script and, and realize that actually it's, it's my responsibility if I'm going to have any integrity in doing what I'm doing in the world to, to, to step from that sort of ap- or the doomsday scenario inside of me into that more beautiful world actually in my internal experience and to trust it and to, and to shift that and to speak from that. I think that is the sovereign move or the, the blessing move. Yes, and that is similar to personal interaction that I just described where you see a, one of the possibilities or one of the elements in that person and you speak to that and you validate that. The same is true for our society. And I think that if you are having, if you have a public voice and you're saying, well, it's pretty much hopeless, but we should try anyway. Uh, but I don't see any possible, I don't have any hope. And even worse than that would be, would be phony optimism where you, where you decide to, in order to inspire people, you pretend that you, that there's a way forward, but knowing or believing deep down that there isn't yeah. that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, but if you can, so the state of being that you're talking about, like when you are like psychologically and spiritually aligned with the real possibility of a more beautiful world, yeah. then you're able to call that into being. You can summon it. Yeah. We have to have already been a little bit, like you had to have a glimpse of it or an alignment. It has to be like at least some chord in your, in your being. Yeah. And this is where I feel so incredibly aligned with you. I've been reading about all of the ways that we can fool ourselves, even as activists in your book, you know, into yeah. thinking that we're doing the right thing, but actually we're just perpetuating the story of separation with a real righteous indignation. And then somehow convincing ourselves that we're virtuous in the process. Yeah. Which will alleviate the guilt to alleviate the criticism from other leftists and activists. Yeah. But, you know, like that's a kind of, sometimes it looks to me like most activism is just that, you know, when I actually interact with activists, usually I would say that the dominant motive is just a genuine care and compassion and authentic desire. Right serve the healing of the world that's wonderful let's let's validate that and i'm glad you do that but at the same time there is this other master that you might be serving and when that contradiction comes to light we need support a context that we're that we feel okay about admitting to ourselves and often to others that yeah i was serving that too yeah yeah. And I think I am, you are, we all are to some extent serving some shadow motive and, and that my duty, responsibility, whatever, maybe not sexy words given this new story, but it still feels true that it's my responsibility to, to be as mindful of that as I possibly can be. And, and there, I think, 
if I'm not willing to see my shadow, then certainly something is going to just hit me from left field. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be taken out of the game temporarily and just come back to it a bit wiser and humbler. Maybe if you are willing to see your shadow, something will still come and hit you from left field. Like this whole thing about it's my duty, responsibility to do that. I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with that just because so easily become I'm someone who is exercising his manly duty and responsibility to be vigilant about who is truly serving. And I'm like, I'm like this conscious person. But is that necessarily the consequence of, of that? No, but it so easily lends itself to that. Yeah. And I've seen that, you know. Sure. Um, like the self-image of being a man of integrity, the self-image of, of being someone who deals with his shadow, the self-image of... And like, it's not that these people are not practicing a higher degree of integrity and self-observation. That self-observation could be focused in kind of the safe zone. And there still could be huge realms of darkness uh, and in a way, that's okay. Like, that's part of the process, too. There's a certain phase of development that is accessible to purposeful, willful work. And then there's a phase that is utterly dependent on something coming in from the outside, yeah. breaking you open. One of the reasons that I wanted to do another podcast with you is because I wanted to bring some energy and positive attention to your next reclaim the inner throne men come to me pretty often and say hey i discovered reclaim your inner throne through, through your conversation with ivan it's been really amazing in my life I've, like people have men have really deep transformations mm. from the program and yeah i want to like bring some of that yeah thank you for <laughs> putting the men philosophizing about the nature of reality. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Narrative on the whole. Proclaiming in a throne, it's, it's a profoundly transformational journey that tends to change the lives of the men and go on it. And uh, a couple of men come to mind. There are some men that I will remember until the day that I die. Maybe on some level I will remember everyone. Though there are, there are certain stories that just rocked my world. There is this one guy from, from America who was just massively resistant and he was running a very disempowering story that we were abusing him and we were mean to him. And it was very intense to have that kind of feedback to us as leaders. And I didn't sleep very well at night, several nights in a row. And felt very vulnerable because in my heart I really wanted this guy to to get what, what he came for and and I cared for him you know as it often does with processes like this it comes to sort of a, a breaking point where you can go one of each ways you can sort of sever the connection and go back to the safe place or stay and, and transform and, and he had this massive massive breakthrough with us where his whole his whole narrative his whole sort of the, the story of his life up until that point just dissolved and the man flipped 
from being a raging little boy to being a joyful, beautiful man, you know, who was all into the, to the brotherhood. And even now I, yeah, <laughs> I want to keep him anonymous, but I love that guy. He's <laughs> one, one of my favorites. And we also, I also remember this artist who was um, just in the, the depths of despair and there's no point in his life. And he was quite a successful artist, but somehow life has, had just gotten the better of him. And I think the thing that we do is that we drop all of the strategies there is no template story for these men. And we're just being with this guy in his dark, depressing place. And it's almost like an archaeological excavation where all of the skeletons and all of the, the ruins of past pains and disappointments. And we somehow uncover them together. And then bit by bit, this man starts waking up, you know, as, as the things which had really just put a lid on his life force start to get exposed. And all of the disappointments, the heartbreaks, the suicidal tendencies, the I'm not good enough. And seeing them all, putting light on them all and just recognize them for broken strategies, for love and for mastery, for being at home in the world. And, and so bit by bit this story started to alchemize. And by the end of the journey, this guy, he was back in life with more passion, with more power, with more creativity than ever, you know? And now he's just kicking ass with huge art projects, huge clients, you know? And he's doing installations and he's, bringing the gifts that he found on this journey through his art to inspire inspire people to have these same openings in their lives. And, and I think what moves me is to know that each man that sort of successfully navigates the territory now becomes his own source point for this for this work. And it just ripples into his world and his community, into the family, into friends and colleagues. And so... Thank you for those stories. One thing that, that moves me about the program that you do is that there isn't like a real clear picture of what the graduate looks like or what the man is necessarily doing in any outward sense. Yeah. He, it may or may not conform to social perceptions of success, but it's, it, it's on a more universal level and what you said i can't remember the exact words but something like to clear away the broken strategies that put a lid on the life force yeah it's about becoming more alive yeah i would say yeah it just seems like the way that we human beings are formed and the way that our identities form it's so contingent on the knocks that we've received in life mm -hmm. And so by the time we've moved through our initial 20 years of life, we've become quite fragmented, most of us, and 
we have all of these places where our life force can bump up against and then we just shut it down because mm-hmm. because that place is dangerous or maybe it's my sexual desire maybe it's my power maybe it's my passion for knowledge I, I could have been shamed for being stupid i could have been shamed for being sexual for being assertive for being weak whatever it might be and all of these little places that shut down in us where the energy doesn't flow anymore and for me it was around power and sexuality that those two streams of my being they were heavily shamed and repressed by the time i was 20 and so um, all of these places we just need to befriend them again you know on some level and to realize no this is a valid part of experience this is a valid part of life and however scary it is to get close to these places i can't be a full human being without actually going there and i think this is the work that continues throughout a lifetime of I mean, it does require an exquisite care and gentleness, but at the same time, a fierce courage and determination, Mm -hmm. in my experience. Yeah. And I find that one of my questions is, where does courage come from? And I can't say I've answered that question fully to my satisfaction. But certainly in my experience, one place it comes from is from a band of brothers. Yes. From other men. Yes. Like who can see my see my courage that I might not even know about yeah. and call it forth. Yeah. And especially someone like you and your team who have had many experiences in seeing latent courage come out. I can I can understand how you would be predisposed like you've had practice seeing it you know you know that it's there and you can call it out in men who have not experienced their courage yes that's true the experience of brotherhood i think is crucial like i i don't even know if it's possible for a man to become himself without that experience maybe um it's hard for me to conceive of that possibility Mm -hmm. It's definitely what you speak to there is that, yes, as men, we can recognize the gifts in each other that haven't been given or that we're too afraid to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, I think we should bring our conversation to a, to a close. Um, yeah. And perhaps to be continued sometime. Is there anything that we want to uh, finish up with? I think, for me, just saying, um, well, how grateful I am for you uh, reaching out to me the first time for the impact of of your uh, stamp of approval on our work. So that's meant, meant a lot for us in Reclaiming Inner Throne. And it's been such a pleasure to have so many men come from your camp into ours and, and seeing how we can take them deep into this experience of the new story. and how exciting that has been for me and uh, how I hope that that will continue. And now that I finally started to really dive properly into your work from my end, I'm really just enjoying 
yeah, seeing the immense overlap and even the economy of the gift that I'm getting into right mm-hmm. now is influencing how I think about our business. And mm-hmm. so right now, it just feels to me like I, I'm just grateful for everyone who is in some way leading the way in this conversation. The water is rising from many springs. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.